But everything that we talk about over the next several weeks in this series, uh, I just want to remind you to run it through the grid of Jesus who is able to keep us from falling. Now, we need to remember that we are saved by Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Uh, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So, so we can't keep ourselves saved. We, haven't, we, we could not save ourselves, but it's Jesus who keeps us. But I want to r- run everything through that grid uh, while we talk about some of the other important areas where, where we're given a responsibility to keep. You know, Paul said that Jesus is not only able to save, but he's able to save unto the uttermost. And so we, uh, we remember uh, the grace of God. We remember his ability uh, to keep that which we commit unto him against that day. But, but there is also responsibilities that we have as we journey uh, through, uh, through the, the toils and, and snares of, of this life. Uh, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Uh, we are to uh, keep ourselves in the love of God when we're going through temptation, when we're going through trials and adversities, when, when we have to be separated from somebody that we love because of death. We're to keep ourselves in the love of God. And, and Jude also connected that to building yourself up in the most holy faith. That's a responsibility that we have. To, and what we said that was, was to build yourself up in the gospel, to love the gospel, to, to know the gospel, to, to grow in, in your understanding of the gospel, and to preach the gospel, especially to yourselves, as you build yourself up and as you keep yourself in the love of God. You know, uh, I've, never, I've never seen a front door of a house uh, that didn't have a, a, a door lock on it. Uh, that's because there are some things that we're supposed to keep in and there are some things that we're supposed to keep out. We're supposed to keep in the love of God. We're supposed to keep ourselves, our hearts with all diligence for out of it all the issues of life. But last week we said we're supposed to keep out idols. Little children, you know, keep yourselves from idols. That responsibility rests upon us. And if you missed uh, our message last week, you can catch that uh, on the podcast, just go to livingwordli.org and you can listen directly from uh, the website. And I think it's a really important message that one of the most important things that we are to keep ourselves from, and that is from the love of idols, the love of, of things that would distract us from our love and devotion to Christ. And so uh, keeping things in and keeping things out our responsibility. I, I want to talk to you about another kind of keeping this morning that, that is not only something that we do individually, but it's something that has a profound effect upon us corporately. So that what, what I'm saying is that it affects every single one of us in the room. How we, how we keep this affects every single one of us, and it also affects Jesus as well. Let, let, let me kind of illustrate. We're about like two-thirds of the way uh, into spring. And uh, it hasn't been a very warm spring so far. I mean, we, we've hit a couple of days of 70, but most of the days are, you know, we're, 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 we're reaching around 60. In fact, I looked at the weather forecast for this coming week, and maybe the highs will be about maybe mid-60s this, this week. And, and I don't know anybody who, who could say we had a really easy winter. It, it's, it was a cold winter. It was a hard winter, Right? 
And uh, as cold and as hard as it was and snowy as it was for us, it was devastating for people in the South, people who aren't used to the cold or used to the snow. I mean, I, I remember seeing, you know, uh, video uh, news about certain cities, like especially in Atlanta, that were absolutely devastated by the snow and the cold and the ice. And, and uh, I mean, interstate highways that were, were literally uh, shut down. The governors had a call uh, you know, uh, the, the National Guard to help uh, motorists that were stranded who abandoned their cars because they couldn't drive in the snow and ice that they were dealing with, you know. Uh, blackouts that, that took place in certain cities. And, and there's one particular report that was on the Weather Channel. What was so interesting was that, was that along this interstate, there was a grove of uh, young pine trees. And uh, these young pine trees could not... Uh, exactly handled the weight of the snow and the ice, and, and they were literally, you know, leaning over to one side. And they were actually, the branches and the, and the tree trunks were actually leaning on one another, you know? And, and, and here's the thing, they pointed out that the trees, however, that were standing alone were, were trees that experienced the branches broken and even tree trunks broke and bent underneath the weight of the snow. But not so for the trees that were leaning against one another. They had the support of one another. I mean, it's not hard for us to kind of figure out the, the analogy that when you're standing alone and when you're going through the storms of life and you have no one to support, no one to lean on, you're in trouble. You'll not survive the storms of life. But when, but when you're going through the storms of life and you are able to lean upon another, for strength, you'll be able to withstand the storms of life. And uh, let, let me just share with you, th th this is why this message is so absolutely important. Uh, one of the other uh, areas, uh, actually there's a verse of scripture, let me share with you at this point. Uh, I, I love this verse. It, it, talks about, it talks about the dynamics of of, of coming together and supporting one another. But, but how many of you remember, I did a series a while back, probably a long time ago, about synergy. Remember the, the principles of synergy? Synergy is two can accomplish much more than, I'm sorry, two can accomplish much more than, than, one, than, than they can individually. Uh, like the scripture that says, one of you will send a hundred to flight, but two of you will chase a thousand. In other words, when you come together in that cooperation, there is a multiplication of, of, of power that is released. Here's the verse that I was talking about. I love doing this verse at weddings, and here's only part of it, but it says this in Ecclesiastes 4 and 9. It says, two are better than one. If one falls down, his companion will lift him up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help. A person standing alone can be attacked but, and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. I, I just love that verse. Two can stand back to back and conquer. But you know what is tragic about that? Is that the person that is standing alone and there's no one to help when he falls. I mean, th that is not only a word of warning, but it is a word that is descriptive of a real tragedy. You know, it was the Lord who first said, it is not good for man to be alone. We were never designed to do life 
by ourselves. You know, somebody said in a, in a, in a book, no man is an island. And we were never designed to do life on our own. We were, we were created and designed to do life together, to, to be a part of a community, to be a part of one another and to support and love and care for one another. So here's, a, here's another illustration to kind of make my point a little bit stronger. There's a, a certain kind of room that is unlike any other room in any other building in all the world, okay? In his book, One Church from the Fence, the author writes this. I've spent long hours in the intensive care unit's waiting room, waiting and watching with anguished people, listening to urgent questions like, will my husband make it? Will my child be able to walk again? How do you live without a companion that you've lived with for 40 years? The the intensive care waiting room is different from any other place on earth. People that are there are different. They can't do enough for each other. No one is rude. Differences melt away. Each person is pulling for the other person. In the intensive care room, while you're waiting, you're waiting for the next medical report, and you're hoping that the news will be better. Vanity and pretense vanish. The priorities come clearly into focus. Everybody realizes that what is most important in life are those whom you love. I want you to imagine with me for a minute, what would it be like if we lived as if we were all waiting in the ICU waiting room? What would it be like if we, if we had a crystal clear priority of what life is all about, that loving and caring and supporting and being there for one another was the priority of our life. You know what? A visit to the ICU waiting room creates and develops compassion and kindness in a person. And the call of being a follower of Christ literally is a call to live life as if we were living in the intensive care unit. If there's any place on earth where those attitudes and those, those actions ought to be implemented, it, it is in the local church. It is where, where brothers and sisters come together, diversity, different backgrounds, but they come together with one purpose under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you this morning about the importance of unity that you and I are given the stewardship, the commission, the charge to keep the unity created by the Spirit in what is called the bond of peace or the bond of love. We have been given this charge to keep, to guard, to protect, to, to garrison this unity in such a way that we are preserving that which God has given to us. So I want to talk to you about unity. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the local church in Ephesus, now now in the city of Ephesus back in the first century, there weren't many churches in a city. There was one church in each city. So, So Paul's comments are to a local church. And so what we are hearing now applies to us. So Paul says this, as a prisoner of the Lord, Meaning, I I, I may be in jail by the Roman government, but really, 
I, I submit to the sovereignty of God. God orders the footsteps of the righteous as a prisoner of the Lord. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And here's the verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That phrase, make every effort. Another translation has endeavor to keep the unity, which means to make it your business, to make it your mission, to make it your enterprise, to keep and to guard what the whole, now the Holy Spirit is the one who, who creates it. You, you and I, we can't create that. It's been created for us by Jesus Christ and what he has sacrificed and done for us, but we are given that responsibility to make sure that we protect it and preserve it and we keep it. For he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in y'all. Now, I say in y'all because Paul came from the south of Tarsus, all right? Just kidding, all right? Come on, lighten up a little bit. Give me a, give me a little help here this morning. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make it your business. Make it your mission. I mean, have you ever thought about that? That God has commissioned you. Your mission in life, among many other things, but one thing certainly as a priority is to endeavor to make it your mission and make it your business to protect and guard the unity in the church. This is what Paul is stressing here, that we preserve and protect the unity because it's so vitally important. Now, let's, let's talk about one of the reasons or a couple of the reasons, rather, why unity is so important. First, negatively, because Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. A house divided against itself will be able to fall underneath the division and the, and the schisms that are taking place within that family or within that house. So, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science for us to try to figure out that Satan's strategy is to conquer and divide, to turn brother against brother and sister against sister so that there's divisions and there's biting and there's bickering and there's, there's fighting. There's, there, 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 there's this division among us. This is, this is what Charles Spurgeon wrote about the subject. He says, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. Since unity is strength, unity is strength. I can't, I can't stress that enough. Unity is strength. He does his best to promote separation. So ask yourself, what is, what is one of the most important things in this life? Isn't it your relationship with the Lord? Then, then shouldn't you be promoting and supporting what is important to God? And God says this is important to him. To the Galatians, Paul the Apostle warned about their bickering and their fighting and their biting and their snapping at one another. He said, beware lest you devour one another. It reminds me of the story I heard about these uh, men who were shark hunting. 
and they threw their bucket of blood into the water and, and, and soon sharks gathered. And, and in, this, in this frenzy, this one particular shark began to bite down. You know, I mean, they've got like razor sharp teeth, right? And uh, it, it wasn't, he, he wasn't biting at another dive. He wasn't even biting at one of the other sharks. But, but in his bloodthirstiness for, 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 for blood, he, he bit down on his own tail. Not once, but repeatedly. And was so oblivious to the fact that he was biting and literally devouring himself. And that's what Paul is saying here. That when you do that, when, when you bite and when you, when you snap at one another, you are literally hurting yourself and you know what? We're hurting the Lord as well. Remember when Jesus spoke to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus when he was going to arrest Christians and Jesus stops him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus takes it very personally when one of us is hurting. In fact, when the body hurts, the Bible says, when one weeps, we all weep. When one rejoices, we all rejoice because there's a connectiveness there where members of his body of his bone and of his flesh interestingly in the book of proverbs solomon says that there are seven things that god hates in fact he says one of these things is what we're talking about here those that sow discord among brethren it is amazing that in the same list of murder and the shedding of innocent blood god says what is detestable to him what is an abhorrent thing to him is those who will sow fractions and discord among the brothers. So this is why it's so important. And yet another reason why it's so important, and maybe, maybe one of the most important reasons is because Satan knows there's a great potential when when there is harmony and there's unity in a fellowship where, where people have the same mind, the same heart, they're on the same page. They're working together for the, the common purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. There is great potential for us. I, I love Psalm 133 that talks about the blessedness of what, what can happen when, when brothers dwell together in unity. So, so let me just look at a couple of verses, only three verses. I'll just look at the first and the last. But, but I, I love the first word. You know I love the first word, behold. I want to bring it back into our conversation. I want to bring it back into our daily. Listen, the next time you tweet, would you please say behold, hashtag, and whatever? You know, because I, I believe that the word behold is such an awesome word. It means look, gaze, you know, study, pay attention. I'm going to say something really important. So behold, right? How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is incredibly lovely where there's harmony and oneness of purpose and oneness of heart. And then the psalmist in that, in that middle verse, he uses an illustration. He, he, he takes an ancient thing that happened in Israel's past when Moses took oil. Must have been a lot of it because he, uh, he consecrated the, his brother Aaron into the priesthood and he dumps this, I don't know, bucket full of oil on Aaron's head and it runs down his face and on his beard. And, and, and the description is it, it's, it's on, his, on his robe all the way down and it's running all the way down to the hem of his garment. And, and, and that really is the Holy Spirit's beautiful picture of 
the anointing that was upon Jesus, because Jesus said, remember, the Spirit of God's upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those that were captives, to heal the brokenhearted. And if we're members of his body, then, then that means that that anointing that began with the head Jesus also has an effect upon us. But, but what is so staggering about this, this little psalm is the last sentence, the last verse. It says, for this is where God commands the blessings, life evermore. Please understand that this is passionate language. This isn't God giving the blessing. This isn't God releasing the blessing. This isn't God bestowing the blessing. No, this is God who commands the blessing. And when God commands a blessing, all hell can't stop it. Let me tell you, all hell can't stop where there is unity and harmony and there is a supporting of one another like those pine trees where where, where there is a coming together like in the waiting room of an ICU unit and there's care like that. God commands blessings of life evermore. And you know what that means, life evermore? It means eternal life. It's, It's life everlasting. And that's where the ICU unit waiting room meets together with the maternity waiting room and new births happen. And if we would see, listen, if we would see the power of God release people into the kingdom of God, we have got to come together and be one of heart, one of mind, and one of spirit. To quote the scholarly Maximus Decimus Meridius, what we do in life echoes in eternity. I'm not talking about dog's dog. uh, Yeah, dog's dog. Dog's dog. He named his his dog Maximus Meridius. But what it's, I mean, that is not only a great movie line, it is a great truth. What we do in this life has ramifications upon eternity. If we will come together, love one another, support one another, comfort, encourage one another, care for one another, like I'm talking about today, the ramifications will be something to be enjoyed for eternity, to make it our business, to guard, to keep, to preserve the unity of the Spirit. I mean, this really is the heart of Jesus. If you want to know what was uppermost on Jesus' heart, and, and you know what? If you want to, if you want to know what, what's in somebody's heart, look at them when they're undergoing a great trial. When the pressure is on, that's when what they're really all about comes out. And in the light, or I should say in the shadow of the cross, in the shadow of Gethsemane, when Jesus felt the pressure like at no other time in his life, when he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, When Jesus felt like he was being crushed to death because of the cup of the wrath of God that he was about to drink, what was uppermost on his mind? What was uppermost on his mind? Ask yourself that. What was he thinking about more than anything else? Let me tell you what what he was thinking. Not only was he thinking about you and me, about bringing us into a place of salvation, but he was thinking about our unity. Listen to this in John chapter 17. The, the whole chapter is the prayer of Jesus, the intercessory prayer of Jesus. But, but this, this is just a small part of it. He says, my prayer 
is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. This is the uppermost in his heart. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and that I have loved them even as I, even as you have loved me. Under the intense pressure, what came out of Jesus was that which was uppermost in his heart. And let me tell you, if, if that is a priority to Jesus, then that ought to be a priority for us, that this is the call that we have to steward this mission of making the house of God, making the local church, the ICU unit where, where we, we care for one another, where we're rooting for one another, where we're hoping and praying and loving and serving one another. I uh, was thinking about uh, a man most of you don't know, C.L. Moore. He died maybe about 15 years ago or so. He was a precious uh, elderly uh, minister of the word of God. And uh, we had him speak here on a number of occasions. Uh, one of the last times I saw CL, he was in his late 80s and he was still ministering. He, he sat down and he, and he shared the word of God. And it was at a pastor's meeting. There was a room full of pastors and their wives. And he was invited to speak and he was sitting in the congregation during a time of worship, and, and then he was asked to come and to, and to take the microphone and to share with the brothers a prophetic word, a word of encouragement, whatever the Lord laid on his heart. And I tell you what, it, it, seemed like, it seemed like forever for him to get up out of his chair and to make his way over him, and he just moved so slowly. And then, and then when he finally came up to the platform to sit down and and then by the time they got the microphone ready for him to speak, and, you know, I, I'm not exaggerating. I, I'm really not. I mean, I mean, everybody's just, I mean, the room is silent. All these, all these, you know, pastors are waiting for God to speak a word. And, he, and, and, and when he spoke, he spoke one sentence, one, one sentence. And then he said, he says, that's all I have. That's all I've got. And, I, and at first, I got to tell you, we were all disappointed. But when that one sentence that he said began to sink into our understanding, it was profound. In fact, I got to admit that if he administered the word and had spoken over individuals, I would have, 15 years later, I wouldn't have never remembered. But I remember exactly what he said. And, and, and this is what he said. He said, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it together. Doesn't matter what you do. In fact, that, that philosophy of, of the importance of working together and, and, and striving together and, and the unity was, was, was not only on his heart, but, but really has filtered into our community groups. That's why in our community groups, we, we all do something a little bit differently. But our attitude is, it doesn't matter what we do as long as we're doing life together. 
Now, I, I have a, a, a prophecy from C.L. Moore. I wasn't going to share this with you, but I, I noticed it this morning. It's hanging in my office. I took it down. I wiped the dust off of it a little while ago. And I just want to read you a couple of lines of what he wrote. One of the ladies in the church who's now with the Lord uh, transcribed this and put it in a frame uh, for us. And, and this is what it says. And, and this is no coincidence of, of what was on his heart. He says, he has blessed you as a congregation. Just watch that the enemy doesn't sow discord among you. And in my time, I will thrust you forth as a prophetic word for this hour, for this generation. God has called, God has ordained, God has qualified, and it's God who brings you to this hour for which you live, which, for which you have been ordained and birth, and for one thing that is to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ and the tremendous importance of his worth. And that really is our heart's desire as a body is to, is to magnify the Lord Jesus and his great worth. Because it's so important to him, it's important to us. In 1995, when Pixar released Toy Story, from 1995 to today, they've released 11 major motion pictures, all of them successful, all of them internationally, internationally successful. From the very beginning of their foundation, they, they understood that cooperation and, and uh, just, just coming together it, it, with all of their talents and their creative abilities was so important. Teamwork was, was so important to them. Their original plan was to build three separate buildings, one for the computer programmers, another for the, the animators, and another for the management. But when, when Steve Jobs got involved and he worked with Pixar in the beginning, when he got involved, what, what he did was he, he, he made them purchase an old Del Monte uh, canning factory, one, one huge room and had everybody together rather than being separate. And they had in the center of that an atrium. And in that center space, they were to have all of their deepening of their relationships and their connecting of their ideas and their, and their getting together, right? And so what Jobs did was, was he, he not only designed that they should be under one building, but he forced them to come together by, by creating everything in that center atrium that the bathrooms were there, the mailboxes were there, uh, the, the coffee shop was there. If people you know, wanted to get a cup of coffee or go to the bathroom, you had to, you had to run into somebody else. That was the philosophy, that, that this iron sharpens iron, that coming together in this way, the creative juices, you, you can't help but make connections. You can't help but, but develop relationships. And when people run into each other and you, and you look eyeball to eyeball, he says, things happen. One of the executives says, we called it schmoozing. And then he says, I began to worry if there was no schmoozing that was taking place. One, one guy by the name of Brad Bird, the director of The Incredibles and Ratatouille, he eventually caught the vision. And he said this, that the atrium initially seemed like a waste of space and a waste of time. But Steve Jobs realized that when people run into each other, something magical begins to happen. 
the dynamics of coming together in one heart and one mind and one purpose, the dynamics coming together. The, the, the Bible says that's when iron sharpens iron. It's, it's, it's no surprise then that the, the Latin motto for uh, that company is translated this, alone no longer, alone no longer. I don't know, I can't, I can't say this with any certainty, but, but, but who knows, maybe Steve Jobs understood by the observation of great minds like C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien that they used to come together on a weekly basis. Uh, C.S. Lewis and uh, Tolkien, the, the, the author of The Lord of the Rings, met with a group of other men, thinkers, and they came together on a weekly basis to, to critique one another's inspirations and one another's works. That, that, that's, that's where they heard the first readings of The Lord of the Rings and, and uh, uh, The Great Divorce by, by C.S. Lewis. And, and there was another, uh, Louis XIV, that was written by one of the other Lewises. And what we have is the dynamic of, of, of great minds coming together. And the result of that is that great masterpieces came out of that. This is what Tim Keller says. Unity is not simply the work of the Spirit, but the very instrument through which the Spirit works. It's the very medium. Unity is the very, is the very vessel through which the Holy Spirit works. So let me close this morning with one last powerful, I believe, scripture, which not only tells us the importance of unity, but it tells us how to achieve unity. Listen to this, Philippians chapter 2. Is there, and, and these are all rhetorical questions. These are, in other words, these are questions Paul says that are obvious. That you know what the answers are. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yes, of course. Any comfort from his love? Yes, of course. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make my joy full or make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. And then he says this negatively, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but but positively be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude. And it gives us the example of Christ Jesus who humbled himself to the point of death. Here's the motivation. Here's the inspiration why we should come together why we should, listen, why we should steward the unity of the Spirit through the gifts of the, of the uh, rather through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, through love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness. The, the best way to destroy the unity in a local church is by being selfish and self-centered and fleshly minded. But the best way to promote the unity is by the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces. I want you to just for a couple of minutes, imagine the possibilities. If people of the world in Pixar can come together and, and by their clashing together, by their iron sharpening iron, create great things out of that, then what could we do where God commands the blessing of life evermore? If God commands, all hell can't stop it. 
What are the possibilities? If great minds can come together like a Lewis and a, and a Tolkien where creative juices are released, what could happen when, when our creative thoughts come together under the inspiration of the creator of the universe, of the Holy Spirit? The possibilities before us are endless. And so for the sake of the king and the sake of his kingdom, to advance his kingdom, it's a call to come together. It's a call to support one another, to be the trees that one another leans on, that when the storms of life come, that will that we'll not stand alone, but that we'll stand one with another. That we see through the eyes of the ICU unit and we understand our priorities are clear. This is important. We are to care for and support one another. So here's my bottom line this morning. Let's make it our business. Let's make it our mission. Let's make it our practice to keep the unity of the spirit. And I tell you, in our, in our history, as a church, we've known times when there have been fractions. And I tell you, this is, this is a lovely time that we, that, that we are experiencing unity among us and that we are to guard it very carefully and to preserve it because it's a blessing that comes from God where we will see God command the blessings. Amen? Let's pray. So Father, I thank you this morning that we are charged with this commission to keep that which the Holy Spirit creates because we're members one of another, we're members of one body. We have been brought into the body of Christ. We're members in particular, not, not identical, but with diverse gifts and callings and a diversity of interest. And yet, yet there's a harmony and there's a, a camaraderie of, of working together and putting our strengths together in a synergy way. And so I, I pray, Lord God, that, that we would correctly and rightly steward this unity with our resources, with our attitudes, with our prayers, with our very lives, oh God. Just as the scripture says, the reason why we know that Jesus loved us is because he laid down his life for us. So ought we to lay down our lives one for another. I pray that that would become the norm in this house. In Jesus' name, amen.